Whether you're an aspiring music business professional or a seasoned vet, every Thursday, the Music Business Podcast brings you the trends and tactics from some of the world's most innovative minds in music. I'm artist manager and consultant, Jordan Williams. And I'm Sam Heisel, co-founder of the music marketing and content production agency, Knox. We're not teachers. We're entertainment industry professionals, drinkers, wannabe comedians, and most importantly, fans. Welcome to the show. Jordan, what's happening? What's up, Sam? How you doing from a distance? I'm good, man. Lockdown. It's like that lockdown defense, except now it's a lifestyle. Yeah, man. It's got to be. Got to be. Stay inside. <laughs> that, that's it. So, um, I mean, super excited to have our guest uh, on today, Rob Markman. Rob is the VP of Content Strategy at Genius. You guys are probably well aware of Genius. Incredible media company. Kind of started as like a annotation and lyrics website, but really continued to grow, are bringing a layer of genius to the internet, um, whether it's different songs or interviews. I think that their content is world-class from Rob's talk show for the record to Verified, where they have artists come on and talk about their own songs and deconstruct the lyrics, and then to Deconstructed, where producers are breaking down and showing how they went about producing and creating some of the, the hardest beats to your favorite records. So... I think they're just a very innovative company. And I think Rob is largely behind a lot of that innovation on the content side. I think content today is more important than it ever has been, not only if you're a media company, but if you're an artist, uh, whatever facet of the business you're in, there's no denying the value of content. So to be able to have Rob on to talk about the importance of storytelling, what makes a great interview, how to think about what effective content is, how to go about testing different types of content, what, what data he's using to inform different decisions around content strategy. I think it's all invaluable information. What'd you think, Jordan? Yeah, I thought it was great. Um, Rob's obviously been in the music industry for a long time in a few different ways. Um, one of them obviously being print journalism and journalism in the early 2000s. And honestly, I think, you know, the editorial and news cycle now is completely different. Rob's been through it the entire time. So um, we just get to know not only his origins, but, you know, what it was like to be a, a music journalist when he started versus now, um, how he thinks that's affected music journalism. Um, he's got some great sound advice for people who want to get into music journalism who, or who are uh, music journalists just on interviewing that I thought was great. Um, and, you know, like I say every time, I, I always am a fan of people who do more than one thing. And um, Rob also has a, a hip hop career. And I, I get a lot of questions of people all the time, you know, if they are a musician, including myself, I started as a musician and then kind of got into the industry because I felt like I had to choose. And Rob has been able to coexist between both. So for people who feel like, you know, they're not necessarily sure on which side they want to go to, he, he, he uncovers some of that as well. So just a lot of gems in this episode, man. And, you know, very excited for, for people to hear it. And if you haven't already, uh, on the date of recording this, Rob just dropped his new record, Good Friday, uh, on all streaming platforms. So if you haven't already, be sure to check it out. But without any further ado, Mr. Rob Markman. Rob, man, how you doing? Thanks for uh, coming to the Music Business Podcast, first quarantine edition. Wow, this is the first one? This is the first quarantine yeah. edition? <laughs> yeah. Wow, we're making history right here. Nah, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for having me. You know, there's been like minimal human contact through this whole thing and you know i got my family here and, and it's cool but um it, it's great to have human contact man so i i, I, I kind of feel like i'm getting out of the house right now you see i got my <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love yeah it. yeah um just a, a quick check-in sam you're in you're in brooklyn you're in bk yep i'm in i'm in new up. jersey 
Um, so we're all we're all over the place here. This is cool though. This is yeah. cool. I'm in Staten Island, so we hit the trifecta. They say usually yeah. go Brooklyn, <laughs> Staten Island, and then Jersey. Right, I'm, I'm, right. I'm a Brooklyn cat though, man. It's Brooklyn. I'm born and raised in Brooklyn, so. Tight, tight, tight. Um, so I guess for the people that are just hearing of you, uh, you know, what, how did you get into music journalism? What was, what was sort of your first foray into it? Yeah, um, it was about 2004. You know, I'm painting the picture for you. It was about 2004. <laughs> Print magazines was still a thing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's all the range. <laughs> like Kanye was new. Kanye, Kanye, was, <laughs> Kanye, Kanye was just a producer. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he, he just learned Kanye the rapper. Um, yeah, um, my first assignment was for Complex Magazine, when it was actually a magazine. Complex is now no more as a website, but it started out as a mag- magazine that Mark Echo started. And it might have been like their third or fourth issue. And, you know, they were new and they were figuring things out. So everything was brand new. And um, a man, Tim Hotep, um, who was one of my best friends, we went to high school together, we went to college together, man, we lived together for, for a while, just like, really solid dude they needed somebody to do a jada kiss album review and just because we went to school together he knew and we were friends he knew i knew a whole lot about hip-hop and um he knew that i could write he knew that i was like a good writer just being in classes and and stuff like that so he hired me as a freelancer to do a jada kiss album review um and it was jada kiss's second album and they Drove me up to Yonkers. They had a car waiting for me. This is when the labels had budgets. And the scope sent a car <laughs> in Yonkers. Took me back to Brooklyn. Um, and, and that was like my first freelance piece. And, and it was cool because at the time, I, I just had a regular job. I had a college deg- degree and a regular job. And I, I worked in the mailroom somewhere. And, you know, that, that wasn't what I wanted to do with my future. And when this, this prospect of, like, being a music journalist, like, I got my first taste of it. And I said, oh, once my foot is in the door, they're going to have to take me out of here kicking and screaming. Right. So, you know, I, I, one opportunity, one freelance opportunity snowballed into two. You know, that two turned into four, that four turned into eight. And I started making a reputation for myself amongst editors from The Source and Vibe and Double XL. And, you know, I was working in the mailroom at, in the day and doing freelance work for different hip-hop magazines at night. So what was like your first interview that you can remember where you were like, oh, shit, I'm interviewing this person? Like, oh, damn. My first interview was for the first one that I did or the first one. Well, it was probably one and the same. Look, my first interview, it was over the phone. I remember I had to buy a phone recorder. Like, I didn't know any of this. (laughs) I was just doing album reviews. And then Scratch Magazine was a magazine by Harris Publications. It was like the sister magazine to XXL at the time. And while Double XL focused on the rappers, Scratch Magazine's purpose was to focus on the DJs and the producers. So they were putting producers on the cover. So they were just launching this magazine. It was the first issue. And Andre Torres was the editor-in-chief at the time. And I reached out to him to see if he had any work. And he said, man, I, I need somebody to interview Easy Mo B. And Easy Mo B, for those who don't know, was Biggie's producer. You know, Puff gets a lot of credit, as he rightfully should, for producing Biggie. But Biggie's first album, Ready to Die, which was a classic, it was almost split down the middle where Puff kind of helmed one side and Easy Moby did the other side. Easy Moby did like all the street joints and Puff did all the mm. stuff that you heard on the radio. Mm-hmm. So he needed somebody to interview Easy Moby. So I went to Radio Shack, I bought a tape recorder and the apparatus that helps hook, the, hook it up to the phone. And I, I interviewed Easy Mo B. 
And after I turned that assignment in, he said, well, I got another one for you. Um, you want to interview the alchemist, you know, the producer, the alchemist. Wow. Um, yeah, sec- that was your second one. That was my second one. <laughs> Dang. Go, go into the studio and, and interview the alchemist. So that was dope. And funny now I think about it, it actually comes full circle because I'm interviewing the alchemist tomorrow on my show on genius for the record. Oh, um, oh, wow. he, he just dropped the project with Conway. I hadn't interviewed him since obviously we've known each other and we've, seen each other since then, but I, I've interviewed him that one time and now maybe 16 years later, I'm interviewing him again. That's amazing. So when did you get involved with Genius? Because even, I mean, I used to be in the tech startup world and I remember when Genius teamed up with like Ben Horowitz, the investor, and they were on this mission to like annotate the internet. But yeah. since then, it's also really just kind of gone on. I mean, I don't know if that's necessarily still the vision, but it's become this like super relevant, thriving, awesome media brand that's putting out some really incredible content, very proactive when it comes to this kind of like new media, digital media landscape. How, how did you kind of get linked up with Genius and how did your role develop into what it is now? Yeah, so I joined Genius in 2015. Mm-hmm. And, you know, basically like my career went from freelance journalist and then I got a staff position at Scratch Magazine and then the staff position at XXL. And then I moved over to MTV. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's how I spent between 2004 and 2015. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I developed myself um, a reputation as a journalist, but through that, um, you know, I got a lot of connections to, to artists themselves, to label people, to managers. And when I joined Genius in 2015, for the most part, it, it, it was a website and an app, and, th- and they were doing stuff in the content field then. But for the most part, what people knew it for was this just cool website where you could look up lyrics. And, you know, mm-hmm. we kind of seen that before, right? Um, Ola, O-H, you know what I'm saying? Right. Uh, I always mess up the acronym, but the yeah. home of the original lyric site. And, you know, there was a bunch of other lyric sites. So we've seen lyric sites before. But what was cool about Genius is not only could you look up the lyrics, there was community who would provide annotation and provide insight to what these lyrics meant. So primarily, mm-hmm. right, that's what Genius was known for. And when I joined in 2015, there was this real push to create content around lyrics and, and music and meaning. And so I was, I was the first hire of what we now call the content team. Um, and, and then Brendan Frederick came through, who's our chief content officer. And he really, you know, we had like some vision and he really had vision and structure on how to structure and build the whole content team out and get us to where we are now, man. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, when we talk about the genius content, this video is, is what we're most known for. I think most people know us for Verified, the video with the yellow background. Mm-hmm. But we have Deconstructed, which is a video for producers. And I have my talk show for the record. And we have Between the Lines and Open Mics and a whole bunch of video series, but also social content is doing very well. Our editorial content does very well. We have a partnership with Spotify. So to, to your, you know, you said that first the mission was to annotate the world and to feel like that has changed a little bit. It's not the tagline anymore that we use, mm-hmm. but it's still kind of the mission. We just want a level of genius, a layer of genius wherever you're at. If you're, if you're listening on Spotify, you can listen to our Behind the Lyrics feature. Right. And you can get a layer of genius. So if you're on YouTube, you can watch our videos. Or if you're on our app, you can use the site as mm-hmm. it was originally intended. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's grown, man. And I've been blessed to be a part of it. That's amazing, man. And I, I mean, 
I, I live and breathe content too, just for some context and aren't like I help artists often like create a bunch of content, but I often reference like the content you're doing and like deconstruct it. I mean, you guys have come up with some really unique series on the video front and not to downplay any of the other stuff outside of the video front, but can you talk a little bit about how you go about um, developing different ideas for different series? Yeah. I mean, it's just, and, and you know, it's a team effort. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's just like not being afraid of, of, of the good idea and also letting things grow organically. Verified, for example, grew into mm-hmm. that. Our, our, our first kind of what we call our pilot episode of Verified or like the of the idea was Designer and Panda. So when Panda came out, it was the number one record in the country. Mm-hmm. Everybody loved it. Nobody knew what he was saying. I'm not even talking about, I'm not talking about meaning. I'm not talking about intent. Nobody verbally knew what he was saying. It was like, what are the words to this song? So we had designer come through and we said, yo, just, can you just read us the lyrics? Like very slowly and we'll put them on the screen (laughs) beside you. And we were like, okay, what are we going to shoot this on? And we just had this yellow paper, you know, the genius logo color is yellow. So we had a a seamless yellow background. So we say, We'll use this. Mm-hmm. And we put it up. And, man, I think that got 25 million hits. Like, I remember yeah, we, wow. we, we put it up, and I got home, and we all felt good about it. Mm-hmm. And I was home, and it, it was maybe about 9, 10 o'clock at night. I'm sitting on the couch watching TV. All of a sudden, I just scream, and I wake up the whole house. And my wife is like, yo, what's going on with you? <laughs> Kim Kardashian just tweeted the... Damn. And the video. We, we lit. We out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I got the Kim Kardashian tweet, yeah. and, and it was over after that. But that's just one part of Verify. We didn't even have him explain the lyrics. At, at, at that point, it hadn't occurred to us. Mm-hmm. And, and then, um, not too long after that, we had a songwriter by the name of Ingrid, um, who is down with Parkwood, um, mm-hmm. Beyonce's label, come through, and she had wrote the lyrics for Love Drought, um, a song off of Lemonade. And you know, everybody assumed that that was a song. And for Beyonce, because she interpreted it and made it into a love song, but was like almost like a breakup song between her and Hove or kind of where do we go now is real relationship based. Mm -hmm. And Ingrid came and she explained her part in writing her parts of the song, the parts that, you know, because Beyonce contributes as well, but Ingrid, the base of the song came from this writer named Ingrid. And she, um, described her intent of what what she meant by the lyrics you know what i mean um and it gave a whole different view into songwriting into the song so mm-hmm. she was explaining the lyrics we didn't have her perform it like designer we was like just explain it mm-hmm. and that video took off mm-hmm. and then we kind of looked at it and we was like uh, well if we put the two things together we got something mm-hmm. the reason why I, I share that story is that the idea evolved is what i'm saying we yeah, weren't afraid right. to try things we weren't afraid when something didn't work or we needed to add something else on, we weren't afraid to tinker with it. So we got, you know, what we have now. And there were a lot of bad ideas. Like I'm not afraid to say verified is a great name for a series. It works. It's our flagship. Mm-hmm. My hip hop ass. I wanted to call it. So what you're saying, 
<laughs> off, 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 like, Look, I even got the EPMD record behind me. I can show show you, you know, because I'm just like, like a hip hop. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, oh, we can just call this. So what you're saying? Because nobody knows what you're saying. Um, I thought it was a good idea. <laughs> I, I like that, but nah, I feel you. Right, nah, like it was a good idea, right? And it was a good idea for the time, but yeah, I don't think that has the longevity of what right. verified has. So, right. you know, it's teamwork, it's throwing ideas against the wall, it's trusting each other, it's putting your ego to the side, it's getting out your own way and just doing the thing that people love. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and luckily we got there, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. So when it comes to like using data, how, how do you guys use data to inform your content strategy? I know it's like a super broad question, but like, mm-hmm. When it comes, I mean, because obviously you're constantly trying to tweak and innovate. And even if you got like one super cool series, you're trying to like double down on various things that are making this series perform really well. Or, yeah. Uh, yeah. Look, there's no secret on the internet, man. Success on the internet is a popularity contest. Mm-hmm. You know, there's times when you strike gold and you just have like really good content, really good storytelling. And there's across the board, there's not synonymous with genius. But, you know, sometimes like, there's no substitute for a good story. So I always feel like a great story is always going to win when you're making content. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when it's a popularity contest. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so data becomes important for everybody. And, you know, I think where you win is when you combine that data with that old school gut feeling. Like, we're music people. So at the same time, sometimes there's things that are popular just like oh my god this is never gonna work it's hard i don't care how many millions of views this has mm-hmm. this is terrible and then sometimes you can see people buy views too or buy data like numbers lie mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying like <laughs> that old um men why men lie women lie numbers don't lie. numbers lie you know what i'm saying right, but right, right. but numbers can also be a guide and the data could be a guide so we use the data to guide us and then we just use kind of our gut and does what feels good mm-hmm. um and, you know, we look at it in a whole bunch of different ways. On the site, we could see, we, we can, every day we could see what songs are the most popular on the Genius site. Right. You can mm-hmm. see it too. It's when you log on to Genius.com, it's on the front page. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we have d- data. I could tell you what's the one lyric in that one song that everybody is looking up. Right. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, we can kind of go in and play with it in, in, in that way. So, yeah, we, we use the data. The data informs our best decisions is what it is so it's like we don't run from data we use the data and then we make our best decisions based off of that but it's you know from what i'm hearing you obviously have to bring towards a a holistic approach through through every decision that you guys make yeah yeah absolutely right absolutely um so obviously since you know Kanye was just a producer music journalism has changed a lot um, what do you think are some of the most significant changes? And we're kind of getting into some of them right now with just talking about data and how it informs things. Um, the significant changes that you see in, in editorial and, and the news and how you've kind of had to change your mindset over the years. Just in general? Yeah, yeah. So obviously, you know, a huge one is the, the shift over to digital, um, but there's obviously a bigger shift to, to video content as well. Um, and, it, you know, some of the websites that I used to check every day for news now have kind of faded away. And some of the ones that have sticked are, are to, at least in my opinion, a little bit closer to editorial and not necessarily just like regular news. And it seems like, you know, every year as the technology as technology gets bigger and bigger, the um, the editorial and news cycle obviously changes with it. Yeah. So 
um, you know, since you were at, since you started at, you know, at Complex to, to what you're doing now? What are some just different things that you've had to do to get used to everything going on? No doubt. And, and just to clarify, I only freelance at Complex and, and I always make that clear because of, um, yeah, yeah. Complex is like a fraternity. <laughs> like, I, I love them. I got a lot of friends at Complex. I'm not, I'm not part of, you know, I don't got the Complex tattoo. <laughs> yeah, um, right, right. But, you, you know, I, I think the number one change, I think the mistake that print made is, you know, I was at print magazines and I, I think print for the most part didn't embrace digital soon enough. You know, the one thing you can never stop is technology. Like we could be stuck. Like I love magazines. You know, I love the way hip hop used to be. I love how things used to be, right? But you're never gonna stop technology. I, my analogy for that is like, have you ever seen the the old um, Austin Powers movie? Um, there's a scene where a guy is coming with a steamroller, and he's coming to steamroll the guy, and he's like 200 feet away, and the guy's just standing there. No, stop! Don't. Instead of getting <laughs> out the way, he's just yeah. like standing there trying to like. You're going to get steamrolled if you just stand there. Like technology mm-hmm. is the steamroller. If you just stand in front of it, it's going to run you over. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Um, and I think the, um, the, one of the big mistakes that print made was not adjusting and embracing digital soon enough. And digital took over. You know, I, I remember being at XXL and arguing. We would do a cover story and was like, yo, let's put it online. And they'll be like, nah, you can't put it online. That's like giving the content away for free. Mm-hmm. You know, eventually advertisers shifted anyway. You can sell ads against that still. So you mm-hmm. can still monetize against that. It's just not having the vision. Um, and I think in that process, I think the written word got devalued. You mm-hmm. know, um, when, let's say, just the process of print, right? Let, let's say, Let's say you and me, Jordan, we both got an opportunity to interview Jay-Z. Same day, press junket style. I go in the room, I get my interview, I come out, you go in, you get your your Jay-Z interview, right? So same day we interview Jay-Z. And I work for print and you work for digital. You can get that up. You could get that transcribed and get a Q&A up in 24 hours, less, you know what I'm saying? The print, cycle was usually about 30 days you know once a month so we could have the same information you just were able to get it up faster than i was if i if i was working print but the advantage to print was you get a really good story like you're you're turning it around quickly normally in print i'd go through three rounds of edits i turn in the draft the editor say okay this is good but i need you to change this 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 and this he'd send it back she'd send it back you know i'd make the corrections submit it again, editor will send it back again. Like you'll get a story really tight. And then after it goes, after a couple of rounds between you and the editor, then it goes to a fact checker mm-hmm. to make sure all the facts is correct. Cause that's a real problem on the internet now. There's not a lot of fact checking going on. Then it goes to a copy editor to make sure your grammar is correct. Cause that's also a problem on the internet with the speed, the quality of, of our writing is diluted. But that process is expensive. You know what I'm saying? I, 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 I know a lot of sites that writers, especially the blog sites, writers are just posting it themselves without an editor. Mm. You know what I mean? And, and, and so you lose a lot. But, you know, it was expensive to do print and, and it took a lot of steps. But, you know, speed and technology always wins. But, you know, one of the things I think is, is we lost the quality. 
I, I feel for these young writers. Like I became such a good writer because I was challenged by editors. I, I, I knew they were going to pick my story apart and I would have had to rewrite it three times before it was even suitable to, to print. Mm-hmm. A lot of these writers these days don't get challenged like that because there's just no time and these places don't have it in the budget right. to edit them. So, I mean, one of the things that's changed is the quality. The speed is great and the way we get information is amazing. It's a plus. We lose some of the quality for, for mm-hmm. some of the sites that don't take it as seriously is, is a negative. Yeah. To me. When you think about like changes and not being resistant to change, but being open and having foresight and leaning into change. Um, obviously there was like a seismic shift when it came from like print to digital, but I, I mean, right now looking forward to the next couple of years, um, and even like not even just the next couple of years, like right right now, right now, quarantines, like what are what are different things you think we should be conscious of or, or lean into when we're looking at this this next wave of digital media? Um I think storytelling is gonna become more important and I think quality mm-hmm. of storytelling. I mean, obviously with this quarantine, um, we haven't quite figured out the quality of we're we're doing the best we can, right? We're using Zoom. Yeah. I hope I didn't. I hope I didn't give away your guy's secret. Yeah, damn, son. <laughs> yeah, right. Blowing but, up our spot out here, rap no. <laughs> but, no, 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 I feel you. But 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 it's great. But you know, even genius, we're going to be using Zoom to record some of these things, which is not. I don't know what camera we use, but the Sony camera that we use, like, there's a mm-hmm. quality, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's fine. I think I think the the audience forgives that. I think what the audience is going to start to crave is the quality of storytelling. Mm-hmm. and the heart in it. I think for a long time, creators have gotten away with... Can I curse on this? Yeah, no? please. I, don't yeah. All right. I, I think for a long time, a lot of creators, a lot of public... Uh, have gotten away with putting out bullshit. Mm-hmm. Like, for real. Like, um, and and just cheap clicks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, headline first. And, and you're almost... They're almost just selling you a headline. And when you click in, there's no substance at all. Right. And mm-hmm. I think I think the audience is getting way smarter than that and and i think because there's so much content out there the audience are going to be a lot more economical with their clicks mm-hmm. and they're going to click shit that's worth their time mm-hmm. you know we're wasting a lot of people's time with the content that you see just like on social media and just like the cheap shit that we do mm-hmm. and when i say we i'm talking about the collective we yeah yeah right sure. right you know the collective we as journalists like man everybody has to step it up and mm-hmm. what's the stories that you can tell? And mm-hmm. so I think storytelling is going to become more important than ever. And, yeah. you know? Right. One thing I've, I've always wondered about is obviously with the invention of social media, a lot of artists can tell a lot of their own story via their Instagram, their Twitter, their Facebook, or, or any way that they, you know, communicate directly to fans. Do you think that there's been a shift in the way that people have had to approach editorial because of that? So, you know, somebody can put on their Instagram, a little short story about their father that may have been in a long form interview um, in Fader or something like that. Do you think that it's changed editorial in the way that people think about it or, or, or not necessarily? Yes and no. I, I think the really good art, there's artists who are just really engaged. Um, do you hear me? I'm good. Connection is good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There's, there are artists that are really engaged and really great storytelling across the board. Um, but there are a lot of artists that struggle with that still, you know, um, a lot of artists, if we're talking about musical artists can go in and tell you in the booth and make a song about it, but can't quite express it 
over social media it comes out wrong sometimes mm-hmm. you know um that, so i think a lot of artists need help with that they're like it's a skill you know um I, i'll give you an example i won't name names but i had an artist come through and um a producer i had a producer come through and we wanted to shoot deconstructed with him and um he just wanted all types of um, editing approval and just wanted the rights to it. And, and like, he wanted to run the show and we were down to work with him. But at the same time, I was like, yo, if you're coming to us, you got to trust us that we know how to tell this story. Mm-hmm. Ultimately he decided I could just do this myself in my own studio. I don't really need you guys to do it. And he did it. I, it just didn't come out as good. Like if I'm being honest, like, and it's not a credit, this is an amazing artist. This was an amazing producer. Um, it's not a discredit to him, but his superpower was making the music. Mm-hmm. Our superpower is the storytelling, you know what I mean? Um, and and it's cool, like, I respect his decision, like, we're cool, like, there's no smoke, there's no static, there's no nothing, but, you know, artists need that help too, because mm-hmm. there's a lot that goes into a, to an artist, man, and, 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 you know, and then sometimes too, like, things just come across wrong. I see a lot of times a lot of artists, like, try to tweet something and it just gets taken the wrong way mm-hmm. and, and it's like man what's the best way to tell the story what's the most effective way to tell the story and sometimes it's not in 240 characters sometimes mm-hmm. it's not 15 seconds at a time on your IG stories mm-hmm. you know um, when you think about I mean obviously this is a big underlying thread and I think because it's so critical but like storytelling a great story like what are the I mean when you think about the stories you're trying to craft and communicate like what to you comprises a great story i was literally gonna ask that question next we got we got some sort of brain brain trust going yeah. on here sam <laughs> ah, that's good that, you know that's a good tandem right there man yeah. like, <laughs> um i think intent and purpose you know i i think timelessness i think you know i i think when you get to the heart of the matter i like to mm-hmm. say like I, I really enjoy artists across the board who get to the heart of the matter right and sometimes listen man Sometimes the song is good because it's a vibe, right? Oh my God, that was a vibe. And, and, and you know, and, and there's room for that. But, you know, I think the style of music changes so very quickly. The timelessness that comes with music, particularly, is the, the intent that goes into it, the heart that you put into it. You know, sometimes, it, you know, it, sometimes it's a bunch of ad like sometimes. Look, if you think about a trap song, sometimes again it's a vibe. The ad libs is popping. That that gets you, and and you know that's where we are right now. But the songs that you're gonna remember twenty years from now are the songs that you remember past the ad libs, mm-hmm. past the a, past the it's lit. You know what I'm saying? Like, what are you mm-hmm. really saying? Um, it's the reason why artists like Bob Marley still resonate to this day. It's mm-hmm. a reason why artists like Stevie Wonder still resonate to this day you know what i'm saying it's the reason why disco died out you know like there's some you know it's just like a style of music so um getting to the heart of the matter is really what what excites me and what i look for artists who get to the heart of the matter mm-hmm. i like that a lot but you got also too and i don't want to sound contradictory but you got to be in the moment too like you got to mm-hmm. not be afraid to be in the moment like let's mm-hmm. go to the party like like you right. know there's certain joints that just you know will always remind you of a of a good time and we want to cover that too and we want to be involved in that too because that's storytelling too but you know you eventually you're gonna have to get to the heart of the matter or it just yeah. turns into disco music yeah, yeah yeah for sure 
So, um, you know, you've obviously interviewed a lot of people so far. What, what do you think, this question is kind of twofold. Um, what do you think a good interviewer does when they interview their subject? And then what do you think a good interviewee is when they're interviewed? How do you think that chemistry yeah. is and how, does, how do they both excel at what they're doing? It goes back to that. It goes back to that thing that I was saying again. And I think I think all kind of content, whether it's music, whether it's movie, whether it's a good book, whether it's a good interview, is good storytelling, right? Mm -hmm. So as being an interviewer, you know, when I sit with you, I, I, there's a story that that when we sit down, there's a story that I hope we tell. There's a way that I hope we resonate to the people. I hope to get to the heart of the matter. I don't want to ask you questions that everybody asks you. You know, I don't want like. I kind of want to get into your brain. Like I want to get into your heart. Like, I, you know, and, and sometimes it surprises you. Like I interview future is a tough interview. You know what I'm saying? And, and no disrespect. I got a lot of love for future. Um, I've been interviewing future for, for years, like from the mixtape era future before mm -hmm. Pluto, mm -hmm. I was interviewing future when I was at MTV and I don't think it's a secret that he, he's not, he don't let a lot of people in. Like future's just not going to open up to you. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Um, and I did an interview with him around the release of his wizard album. I guess that was 2019 at the top of 2019. Mm -hmm. And we're talking. And all of a sudden we just get into this conversation about lean. I wasn't even necessarily planning <laughs> to go there because I, I didn't know. I didn't know what he was about to say, but he, mm -hmm. he had said to me in an interview, that um he had quit drinking lean which was dope but he also said how he was kind of afraid to tell the audience and tell his fans because he felt like that's what they expected of him so would mm. that change their perception it was like a so no pun intended it was a sobering moment mm -hmm. uh, one i wasn't expecting it but that came out of natural conversation but you know we got to the heart of the matter mm -hmm. that was dope those are the type of things that, that that I live for to have those very real conversations mm -hmm. with artists in that in that way. Um and you know, um I'm trying to think of other examples like that. But you know, you just kind of want to make a connection with who you're interviewing. Right. And and as an interviewee, you know, as somebody who sits down, it's like I I've had artists that when the cameras are off, we get along fine. There's no beef, there's no smoke, there's no when the cameras come on, some people just aren't talkers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I, I think as, an as somebody being interviewed, you have to want to open up in some way. Like, you got to give something. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes I've been there sometimes and it's been like a dentist pulling teeth. And it, it, I'm just like, yo, we're wasting each other's time. Like, if you didn't come here to talk, don't. <laughs> I didn't ask you for your social security number. Like, you right. know what I'm saying? Like, there's certain things I, I think I'm pretty respectful with the way that, that I approach things. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, um, you got you got to come willing to talk. And if you're, if you're not a person who isn't good at conversation, then decline the interview. It's cool. Like, I, mm -hmm. I promise I won't get offended, you know? That's right. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, too, that just that notion of vulnerability, even when we're working with artists and helping them just create content for their own socials, it's like whenever they are getting to like how you framed it to the heart of the matter and being vulnerable, like that's where like human connection occurs and that happens offline, but online, too. So being able to, from an interview perspective, like draw that out and create the, the environment where somebody's comfortable to bring that vulnerability, it's yeah. critical.
And, and just being honest too, and vulnerability doesn't mean again because I'm not trying to make an Oprah episode. I'm not trying yeah. to make <laughs> cry during the interview every time. Even though come here, Tears future, are, you could you could yeah. lean on my shoulders. <laughs> tears are good for ratings, though. Like, yeah. you know like if, you want, if you want to cry in an interview, go ahead. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I remember I did an interview with um, Miley Cyrus back when I worked at MTV backstage at the at the VMAs, and, and she cried. Mm. Yeah, I was like, "Holy shit!" Yeah. I this didn't one's know gonna go. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I didn't even know what to do in the moment. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you know, or you know, I had an interview with Nicki Minaj, a genius, in front of a, a live audience where we were breaking down her lyrics. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was vulnerability there too, and it wasn't necessarily a crying moment, but like her being able to tell us, like even something like I had asked her, "If you listen to a lot of Nicki Minaj, she has a lot of sports references." Mm. And a lot of basketball references. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, yo, Nikki is a, a she really be like watching, you know, NBA on TNT. She's mm-hmm. just like us. <laughs> so I started asking about the sports references and Nikki was honest. She was like, listen, one, you know, her boyfriend at the time, I think she was dating Meek. She she was honest. She was like, oh, I, I was dating. I asked about a specific line. I forgot what it was. She was like, I was dating Meek at the time. You know, whenever we be in the house, Sports Center will always be on. So I pick mm-hmm. up certain things from Sports Center. It's just wordplay. Mm-hmm. And then what I don't know, I just Google. Mm-hmm. Like she was honest. It wasn't, you know what I'm saying? It was very different from the future moment of saying, hey, I quit lean and I don't know how to communicate right. this to my fans. It was just her being honest about how she comes up with lyrics. And that's another form of vulnerability. So that's what I'm saying. It doesn't always have to be this Oprah moment. Right. But like, yo, you're fucking Nicki Minaj. Your life is interesting. Tell us yeah. something. You know, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. and 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 the other thing is that the interview, some interviewers suck. Like, let's mm-hmm. just be real. Like, you also have to know how to ask engaging questions to pull that thing out. Because mm-hmm. if I'm if I'm on a press run, and you know, you ask me, you know, oh, who's featured on your album, and I just answered that question for the hundredth time, and plus right. you can look it up, <laughs> just look up the track list, and it's like, what are we here for? So mm-hmm. a lot of interviews got to step it up too, because a lot of y- a lot of y'all ask terrible ass questions oh, yeah. <laughs> you guys are amazing this is fun oh, like, you know what i'm saying <laughs> he's just saying that for the camera drug <laughs> no, no i appreciate that and totally agree man um when it comes to like what have been some of the most fun i mean you just referenced a couple but like uh what have been some of the most fun memorable interviews outside of the ones you referenced and maybe it doesn't have to be like the super deep ones but just shit where crazy stuff happened or yeah, um, and then you lit up. Nicki Minaj for sure was one that we did at Genius, mm-hmm. at Genius level. Mariah Carey was one that we did at Genius, and we called it Genius Level. It was part of our Genius Level series. That was a live interview, and I, Mariah because I, man, I had such a crush on Mariah as a kid. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, yo, I'm here now. Like, <laughs> I made it. <laughs> and, 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 and besides that, the respect that I also had for right. the time. Yeah, she yeah, yeah. was a dope songwriter. Um, and she was so humble and gracious. Um, I interviewed Babyface for Genius, one of the early episodes of For the Record. That was probably the interview where I got nervous. Mm. Like, I was real nervous. Um, because we were in his studio. And when we were going to the room, you got to walk through this hallway and the hallway had record plaques from literally from the floor. Like they're hung on the wall, but they're touching the floor all the way to the ceiling, both sides on this long (laughs) hallway. And you 
you know the breath of Babyface's work, like if you're into music, but walking down that hall, like you see it. Yeah. And I'm like, dog, this dude wrote every, you know how many records he wrote that kids have been conceived to? Like he wrote every <laughs> love song in the 90s. Like every love song that mattered. Yeah. And, um, so, and speaking to him uh, was crazy. And he, he was incredibly um, gracious and, and just like, he could have he had every reason to just stunt and be there. Like, I'm babyface, what? And it, mm-hmm. he was just a human being. That was dope. Um, I had a 2015 interview that I did with Kendrick Lamar when I was at MTV. I, I think that was probably the best interview of, of my career. Mm-hmm. That was a great moment. Um, shout out to Kendrick. That was right after his Pimple Butterfly album. And I think, you know, I think that's, that a lot of people consider that the definitive Kendrick Lamar interview. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm real proud of that one. Man, the list goes on. Uh, I, got, I got to interview. I, was never, I wasn't on camera for this, right? This was MTV before they let me be on camera. I was off camera. But I got to interview all the new edition at one time, including Bobby Brown and Johnny Gill. Like, <laughs> it was like all the new edition. I'm like, and, and this is like, I'm like, how come I don't have a picture of this for the gram? Like, what was yeah, I right. thinking? Like, <laughs> I was stunned every Throwback Thursday. Yeah. Um, you know, I've interviewed Hove before. You know, Jay Z is my favorite artist, so that's always great. Um, mm-hmm. Lil Wayne interviews always fun. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to like the the networking side, because I know on one side you have, you run like and largely run the kind of the content strategy and content over at, at Genius, but on the other side, I mean in a lot of your experience there and responsibility is around like artist relations. Like when it comes to like developing, nurturing, connecting and building these relationships, um, how do you do it? Or what are things that are top of mind that, uh, cause a lot of people that are listening are, they're trying to network with each other, network with people yeah. above their weight class. Yeah. It, it, it's the same thing. I'm gonna sound like a broken record, but it's like be a human being. Mm-hmm. Don't be a dick. Don't yeah. like, I often, I developed, a, 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 for better or for worse, for better for me, I, I don't know. But I, I feel like I've developed this rep, reputation. I'm early on a lot of artists. Mm-hmm. And Genius, in total, the, the team is also early. A lot of people's first interviews are through Genius, mm-hmm. on Verify. You know what I'm saying? But uh, even when I was at XXL, I was always early on a lot of artists because um, it was just being a fan of the music, right? Mm-hmm. And great music doesn't always come with a platinum plaque. Right. Sometimes it's seeing somebody's potential. Like, you know, I was able to get that Kendrick Lamar interview from To Pimp a Butterfly when he already blew up is because I was already doing interviews with him when he had Section 80 mm-hmm. and the Kendrick Lamar EP. Like, the relationship started there. Mm-hmm. Um, Wiz Khalifa, you know, I did a mixtape for Wiz Khalifa, To Tell All the Dice, where I'm interviewing him for skits in between each song on his mixtape. Mm-hmm. And everybody always tells me how, how much they love that interview and that mixtape. But that relationship started in 2007 when I was interviewing Wiz Khalifa before Cushion Orange Juice, before Flight School. You know what I'm saying? So it, just because he was dope. So, you know, I, I think a lot of people in media, but in music in general, wait for an artist to blow up, wait for those million streams, wait for somebody else to co-sign instead of just saying what's dope. And I think, I think great relationship building means not being afraid to put your reputation on the line and admit when you like something, even when it, there may be no apparent reason to like it. It's just the music is good. Right now I'm DMing 
honest truth, right before we jumped on, there's an artist that I love. Her name is um Lady London. Um, and oh, she's yeah, a rapper. And she, I'm like, I'm a, you would think she's like, you know, Megan Thee Stallion status, the way, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm a fan of hers. Her output isn't there yet, but she has this potential. She has a way of doing things that I really like. And so I'm not afraid to just DM her like, yo, I fuck with what you have going on. There's, there's not anything that I, I can do for her right now. Mm-hmm. But it's like let's talk, let's develop the relationship, and when it's time, it's time. Mm-hmm, that, right. That's how that's how it happened with me and Nikki. And I think a lot of people in the industry are afraid, or aren't paying attention, or feel like it isn't worth their time. Like I still list, I don't have all the time in the world. But when people DM me music, I still listen, mm-hmm. whether you have a verified check mark or not. Because if the next Jay Z comes across and is in my DMs, like I don't want to miss that. Right. Like you know, that's how I'm. Russ, me and Russ developed a relationship like that. Russ would just tweet his music to me. And one day I listened and I was like, yo, this is really good. And Russ, if you know anything about Russ, he's changed a lot now, but during his come up, he had a chip on his shoulder because he remembered all the journalists and the people in media who used to send his music and they used to brush him off. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't think that was right either, but, you know, for him to kind of have that chip, but he had a chip on his shoulder. He ain't forget. So when he blew up, he said, man, I remember who was reaching out when, you know, nobody was reaching out. And, and we kind of developed our relationship from then um, just because I thought the music was good. So I know that was a long winded answer, but it's just like be a fan of the music and be human and take your ego out of it. Mm-hmm. I yeah, I was, I was speaking, uh, one of my mentors this year and I was saying that networking is the necessary evil. And she said, what do you think is evil about it? And I said, the fact that people aren't aren't as human as I would like them to be when I, when I network a lot. And she was like, well, you know, have you just tried to be human with them? And I was like, what do you mean? She was like, just ask them how their day is. <laughs> like, just ask them, yeah. just ask them what they ate for dinner the night before. Like, don't be weird about it. And then literally since that moment, when I do hang out with people and I do network with people, it's a little bit less of, you know, what type of stuff you're working on. And just like, tell me about your life. Like that, that counts too. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Just being human with people and connecting with people, you know? Yeah, I, I remember shit. Now that you mentioned that, like I remember, and he probably doesn't remember this at all, but I haven't interviewed Drake in years, you know, since I was at MTV. Um, because who gets to interview Drake anymore anyway? <laughs> but I haven't interviewed Drake in years. But I remember one time I interviewed him, and it was a phone interview. It was back when I was at Double XL, and the publicist connected us. And I asked him that. I was just like, yo, man, how's your, how's your day, man? You good? And he was like, yo, nobody's asked me that. Like, you know what I'm saying? He was like, yo, that's crazy. And this was maybe like, the, this was like a, the thank me later era. This is like the first album. Mm-hmm. And he was like, yo, nobody's asked me that. Thank you for asking. Like, just shit like that goes a long way. Like, you know, just being a, a human being with people. And at the same time, but that also goes for artists. Mm-hmm. And that also goes for people on the other side who need something. I just got into like yesterday into an IG, a DM pissing match with an artist like he hit me up and he's just like yo you listen to my music you listen to my music and every time he hits me I'm just like don't have the time I'm busy or it's just like I'm watching a movie I'm just not in the mood to listen to music because music can't be forced upon you either right like, I gotta trust me it, if you if I'm not in the mood to listen to your music and you can send me the greatest song it's just not gonna hit me the same because it feels like work like I have to be in the mood so he hit me to listen to his music and um one time I hit him back, I said, hey, man, just try back in another week. I'm really busy. 
da da da. If I can get to it, I will. I just haven't gotten to it. Mm-hmm. So he DM me again and asked me to listen to the music, but I I didn't have anything to say. So I guess I left him on red, but I didn't respond. <laughs> and then he just started like cursing me out, like I was some. I was like, first of all, if you was just a little bit patient and just yeah. waited to the time, like I'm not a jukebox neither, bro. You can't just <laughs> order in and put your record and expect a response. So that human interaction comes from 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 both. Um, mm-hmm. both sides. So, you know, I would yeah. employ artists to do that or even up-and-coming journalists who are sending pitches or, or whatever. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, just because I'm very happy with the life I live doesn't mean <laughs> that, you know, a lot of times I don't have free time or luxury time to kind of go through it. So it just has right. to happen when it's meant to happen. For sure. On the What um, advice do you have for artists that are trying to get press? I mean, having been, I mean, you just talked through some experiences and I think, uh, but like in general, like how, how should artists think about approaching getting press? I mean, great story. You know, you should have a great story to tell, like something interesting, something that makes you stand out. Um, consistency, you know, um, and patience. And um, look, the fact of the matter is, I think artists now have to, find a way to build their own fan base. I think mm-hmm. back in the day, again, when we talk about print journalism, you could be an Eminem and have somebody find, have a Riggs Morales find your demo in a box and then put you in the unsigned hype column. Mm-hmm. And, and people would check for you because you were, you know, I don't know if you guys know about the source in the unsigned hype column, but Eminem is an alumni from there. Um, Common came out of there. Um, Capone and Noriega, like they, they birthed a lot of rappers in that column. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work like that the same now. Like you really have to develop a fan base. You know, um, it's not enough just to have great music. It's like, what do you have? You almost got to be like the Verizon man, right? Like you got to have a lot of people behind you. Yeah. The fact of the matter is, is that the game is digital now and runs off of traffic. So mm-hmm. it's like, I can write about you. I can interview you. Who's going to watch it? Mm-hmm. Like, I, you know, at the same time, you have to understand that me producing a piece of content takes a the time, right? Like the hour that it takes to sit down to do it. That's not counting the time that you spend before in pre-production, researching, coming up with the right questions. And then we're talking about editing and posting. And, it, you know, it, it takes several hours of time. And if I'm interviewing you, that means I'm not interviewing somebody else. So I hope that people watch it. Like, you know, same thing with you guys in this podcast. Like, I, I hope people listen. I want people to listen. When mm-hmm. when it's done, I'm going to tweet the link. And then mm-hmm. I'm sure you guys want people to listen. You want people to kind of tune in. Um, so artists have to be cognizant of that. So if you, if you have a fan base, mm-hmm. it helps. But then, you know, after that, a good story to tell. And, and, you know, I think artists just have to be consistent. Sometimes it's like one song isn't going to do it. Like, you know, sometimes you might hit the Lil Nas X. And even Lil Nas X had songs before Old Town Road that people mm-hmm. didn't pay attention to. And then he hit one. But, you know, he had a story and he had popularity and people behind him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. Super valuable. When it comes to your own, I mean, on the side too, I mean, you also are an artist yourself, by the way. Congrats on today's drop. Today's Thank release. you. Yeah. Thank you. Good Friday. Uh, there Streaming it is. Everywhere. There it is. Tune in. Um, what uh how do you go about navigating those two worlds, both ha- like being very involved in the, the music business side, but then also making sure you're able to carve out the time and kind of thrive and build and grow as an artist? Yeah, it's tough. Um, but 
I'm in a blessed position where I can be patient with the music. Like I don't need the music to make a living. Mm-hmm. And me dropping music isn't to make a living. I remember somebody told me, uh, not somebody. T- I saw somebody like subtweeting me one time when I first started dropping music, and they were like, "Oh my god!" Like, you know, look at these guys, man. Like, the money in journalism must have dried up because now they're trying to drop <laughs> records, and I'm right. like, "No, about you, baby." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing all right. Nah, <laughs> the, the, the music isn't a money play for me, and, and, and mm-hmm. I really do it honestly because I love it. I've, I've been writing. Since I was 12 years old, I wrote my first rap um, when I was when I was in high school. About 17 years old it was the first time I went into a real studio, and my engineer at the time happened to be Plain Pat, um, who if you know anything wow. about Kanye West, good music, Kid Cudi, and this is before Plain Pat became the Plain Pat that we know now. So he had he actually has my demo tape. Um, mm-hmm. so this is high school. This is, you know 15, 16, 17 years old. So yeah. I've always been doing music and. You know, the rules change. You know, I, I was told and I was made to believe that I couldn't do both. I couldn't do it, be a journalist and be a musician. I had to pick one because it was a conflict of interest. And there's part of that where, where those lines can blur and it can get sticky. So I understand that. But the game changed a lot. And, you know, I created a freedom for myself to be able to do both. Um, it's tough, but the music comes out the way it does because I love it. Is more of a labor of love, so it it doesn't feel like work. Like I'm actually running to the studio because it is almost therapy for me. I don't see a therapist. Um, maybe I should, but like <laughs> you know, just going in and, and making music is like I, I can't describe it. it. It's the illest feeling to walk into a studio with an idea and then walk out at that night with something tangible. Like yo, this thing that was in my head now exists as this well a file i can't touch yeah, that yeah. three but it exists as as a thing as a tangible piece of art mm-hmm. um it's the biggest rush just the biggest high yeah. yeah when i um when i was interviewed for my first internship they asked me in the beginning of the internship as at the time i made music and they asked me like do you know if you want to be in the industry or do you want to make be on the music side of things and i was like um the industry side because i felt like they were kind of testing me <laughs> um, to see to see if I was com- going to be committed to potentially growing at the company, but I think the world's so different now. Um, obviously, if you do coexist in those two, sometimes it can be complimentary. I mean, we know a lot of ANRs who are also artists, <laughs> like Diddy is the quintessential yeah. version of that, right? Um, so, what advice do you have for people, you know, especially that are in the in, at, at the beginning of their careers and they don't really know which way they want to go yet, um, but they know they want to keep those both sides somehow uh they want to be involved with both it's tough but you know it's tough and it's still tough even for me i you know i would say again to move with with love and 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 like because you're gonna have to prove yourself like because it is Mm -hmm. like yo are you in here are you working this job just to get your your shit off or Mm -hmm. are you really committed to this job if i'm hiring you for genius and you're working on my team like i want to know that you're committed the same way the people that i answer to at genius want to know that i'm committed to them you know, mm-hmm. and, and that I'm giving it my all. Like, um, and I believe in genius and I love genius and I love what I do, but I love music too. So, you know, it, it's just going and proving that. It's about being in there for the right reasons. Even still to this day, I don't, let's say if I'm interviewing an artist, I don't bring up my music at all mm-hmm. unless they bring it up. Like I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to pretend like I don't. 
but I, I don't bring it up. Um, I don't send my music to artists. I don't ask for features. Like if mm. it comes, it comes great. And, and we'll work that out. But I kind of, I'm not using one to leverage the other. Like they're really mm-hmm. as, as together as it is with, we're, we're all in the same industry. It's really two separate things. If I, you know, it, most times people are hitting me up like, yo, what's up with your music? Like, yo, why don't you send me stuff? Like I have DJs hitting me like, <laughs> why don't you ever send me your records? Like I, I don't, I don't have a publicist. I'm not doing press releases. Um, you know, the websites that pick it up. I'm, I'm grateful for them. The two dope boys of the world and the on mm-hmm. smashes and the hip hops and, and more are always picking me up and I'm never sending them the music um, mm-hmm. just because it, it feels kind of weird. And I don't want them to feel like I'm leveraging who I am in the industry for coverage. And, you know, the same thing with playlisting. I'm not like submitting my stuff. For playlists. And maybe mm-hmm. I should, maybe I'm shooting myself in the foot, but you know, maybe we'll get there and we'll grow to that. But I want to make sure on the music side, I earn everything that I get. And mm-hmm. because on the journalism side and, and the music business side, I earned everything and I worked for everything that I got. And I'd be damned if anybody tried to take it away from me. So, and I'm willing to put in that work with the music. Yeah, yeah. For sure, man. Well, Rob, yeah. it's uh, it's been a pleasure to connect uh, virtually, that is. Hope to meet you yeah. in the IRL, but love everything that you do, man. All the content you put out. Congrats on the music and uh, very grateful for all the, 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 the wisdom you shared on the, on the show today, man. And we're Thank- wishing you and yours good health, man. Thank you, man. Same to you, man. I hope, yeah, like this is fun. This is amazing. So I hope y'all make it through this That's, quarantine. It's y'all a big compliment. Yeah, nah, and I've been through some interviews where it's just like, dog, why am I here? Like, I, I, like to say, I like to say yes to things just because it's like, I remember what it was like when people turned me down for interviews and stuff like that. And right, right. So, but sometimes it's just be like, what are we doing? There's so many interviews that I did that I regret. <laughs> like, I, I, I enjoyed this. Um, and if you don't mind, before we go, I, I just want to plug, can I plug just two things? Yes, please. I'm sorry, man. I hate to be this guy. But no, not at all. Definitely check out Genius on Apple Music if you haven't already. I talked so much about our Verified series. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the yellow background, we, we have a partnership with Apple Music. So you can see those in the Apple Music app Congrats well. on that, so, by the way. That's a yeah, great that, was, that was big, man. Like, like yeah. to have that happen, like, I was like, wow, like, what is going on? Right, you know, right. Because, I, again, I remember when we, when we first made the series. You know, and, and, and how we kind of, we planned it, but we also kind of stumbled into it a little bit. It was, yeah. it was building blocks. So For sure. That's amazing. And um, I want to shout out um, Fuse, also Fuse TV. We have a new TV show on Fuse, if you get the Fuse Network. It's called Genius on Fuse. And um, I'm the host of it, which is crazy, too, because, like, my mom hits me up about that show now. Like, all the stuff I've done my mom doesn't watch any of it. Cause she's like, <laughs> I don't, to her, the internet's not real. She's just yeah. like, oh, that's just some internet thing. <laughs> she's like, oh, that's just some internet thing. And then now that I'm on TV, like, it, like, legitimizes. Like, I'm like, yo, ma, I got a talk show. It's called For the Record. And she's like, oh, the internet thing? Yeah, right, cool. <laughs> but now that it's on view, she's like, what time does it come on? I just saw the commercial with you on it and, that's and stuff like that. So awesome. it's really amazing, man. So shout out to Fuse, man. For sure. The whole team of genius, man. Shout out we'll to y'all. Look- Thank you, bro. We'll link that up in the show notes. Well, thank you so much, Rob. It's been a pleasure, my friend. Peace. Peace, H2, man. Yo, man, I thought that was a dope interview, dude. Um, You know, 
I was a little nervous going into this one because Rob is, you know, obviously one of the the best interviewers there 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 is in the hip hop world. And me and you are interviewing the interviewer, you know yeah. what I mean, as yeah. well as the interviewee. But um, I think we held it down, and more importantly, Rob obviously gave us a lot of gave us a lot of gems for people to for people to hear throughout the throughout the episode. You know, hundred um, percent. So we really got into, uh, you know, genius and how he's been able to expand the the content section at the company. Um, we we got into, you know, editorial, what makes a good story that I think people can learn from. Um, we got into, again, the duality of being a, an artist and, you know, existing in the music industry at the same time. And I think a lot of people from a lot of different areas, but especially, you know, editorial will be able to take a lot of valuable information from this interview. What do you think, Sam? I totally agree, man. I think Rob is an incredibly smart person. I think he's been able to really push forward across a lot of, uh, I mean, he's just seen a lot of evolution in the music industry and the media landscape. And I think everything that's happening at Genius is is truly world-class when it comes to what it means to be a digital media company today. So I think uh, at the foundation of that is content and at the foundation of Genius's content is Rob. So very grateful that we had Rob on the show today and, and think he uh, lived up to the hype. So uh, let us know what you guys thought. As always, please don't hesitate to leave a review. Hit us up on Instagram at Music Business Podcast. Constantly uh, working to, to bring you this, this knowledge during these hard times. We're in this together, guys. All right. See you guys soon. Peace.